everybody, and welcome to the Velocity Podcast, live from San Jose, California. I am your co-host, Guru Ramprakash, and along with me to talk hoops, finally, is uh, my good friend. He's in Monterey, California, as usual, and he's Vikram Kant. Vikram, how are you doing? It's great to talk ball with you again, man. Dude, it's been a while, but I'm super happy to talk ball with you and you know, it's a it's a definitely a needed distraction here as we get to the uh, hopefully what is the end of the beginning of of the pandemic here, or the beginning of the end. I beginning guess of the end. more precisely, the beginning. Is there a difference? Yeah, hopefully more the beginning of the end. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, obviously, this pandemic is taking a toll on all of us. Uh, it's it's great that we can record record this podcast while sitting in different locations, and it's great that we discovered that because. Uh, I don't know if we were to, would be, ever be able to do our podcast if it wasn't for that technology. So it's, Absolutely. it's great to have you, Vikram, as usual. And it's great to have you guys as listeners. We really, really appreciate it. And let's just talk hoops, uh, Vikram. So it's been a couple of weeks since we've had an episode. Obviously, quite a few things happened in, in those several weeks. Uh, obviously, the COVID pandemic continues. Games are uh, continuously getting postponed or even... Uh, I, I think they're getting postponed at this point. They, I, I haven't heard of any cancellations, outright cancellations yet. But um, yeah, and then you had the James Harden trade. So a lot of things happened. So we're just going to do like a, a little bit of a, a recap of uh, how the season has gone so far. What are, what are some, some surprises? What are some things that we expected to happen that has happened? And so on and so forth. So uh, Vikram, just, just talk to me about your overall take on the season. What are some things that have popped out uh, for you? So, you know, this season has been really interesting. Uh, the first, I think my overall takeaway is, and I, I think the ratings have been up as well, is this season of basketball has been really, really exciting. Uh, and I've, I've really enjoyed what's been going on so far. I think that the league is a lot better with having our star players back, especially what I'm talking here about having Steph Curry back from injury, having Kevin Durant back from injury, although we'll talk about his COVID absences uh, <laughs> repeated COVID absences due to both his behavior and the NBA's whack protocol a little bit later during this time. But I mean, you know, even tonight, man, tonight we had two 50 point games in losing efforts by Jokic and Steph Curry. Jokic had 50 in their loss against the Kings. Steph had 57 in their loss against the Mavs where Luka Doncic had 42. That game was amazing to watch too. And then to top it all off, and this is the kind of ridiculous part, the Lakers went to the to double overtime with a feisty Pistons team with no Blake Griffin, and LeBron James had to pull on some heroics to have them win the game. I mean, this is the best of NBA basketball, man, and I'm absolutely loving it. So, I mean, I think that's where I'm at, man, with, with all of this is that so much really cool stuff has happened this year, and every night it feels like we get to see some sort of history. Uh, especially with a lot of these current players like Steph and LeBron coming up to, to huge NBA accolades. For example, LeBron just passed Wilt for third all-time in field goals made, which is insane when you think about how many field goals Wilt made, especially with things like his 100-point game. And then with Steph breaking the record, Ray Allen's – or sorry, not Ray Allen's record, but uh, Reggie Miller's record for three-pointers made. He, so, I mean – you know, 
we're seeing history this season and it's it's really cool especially during this pandemic time to see that happen uh, absolutely absolutely yeah and it's, uh, Steph Curry he went up to second on the all-time three-point point list uh passing Reggie Miller but he still has to catch Ray Allen I think he's about 400 away from catching Ray Allen so maybe a season and a half <laughs> for him before he uh climbs to, the, to that mountaintop but uh, yeah not uh, unless he hits 10 threes a game like he did tonight. Well, well yeah. And, and the, I mean, if that happens, that will be he, – he will probably surpass his own record for threes in a season if that were to take place. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, Vikram, you, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as, like, what, what has stuck out as far as this season has gone. Uh, obviously, COVID has, has taken a front row seat as uh, in our sort of evaluation of the NBA as a whole – like multiple cancellations of games happening and multiple seasons being affected because of that. Um, a couple of teams that are having like, you know, uh, not the seasons that they, we are expecting, like the Dallas Mavericks. I know that they won today, but they are still 10 and 14. Uh, and Dude, most of the Warriors with no centers. Let's not get too excited. Yep, here. Yep. I mean, I like it is what it is. They had to, they had to score a lot of points to beat them and they still only won by two points. So it, and it, they gave up 57 to Steph. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. What are we talking about, really? Yeah. And so they're, they are 10 and 14. Uh, the Miami Heat, who are the defending Eastern Conference champions, uh, Vikram, they are 8 and 14. And, and, you know, some of this is attributed to injuries. Some of this is attributed to COVID. Some of this is attributed to not having training camp before uh, our, our proper training camp, rather, before the actual regular season started. And you're going to see some teams sort of uh, limp into the middle of the season. And um, who knows? I I think the second half of the season will be more of an indication of where these teams stand in terms of their overall talent level. And uh, hopefully teams that are falling behind now are able to catch up and, like, you know, make the playoffs. But uh, a couple of teams that are doing really, really well right now, uh, one of them is the Utah Jazz, who are 18-5. and I believe they had an 11-game winning streak sometime during this, the course of the season, and they have just been hitting uh-huh. on all all sorts of cylinders. The chemistry is is really really good between the players. Unlike last year, where they had to make changes in the starting lineup, and you know they are, they are really really playing well. Where do you see the Utah Jazz uh, in the regular season, and can they translate it to uh, a deep playoff run, Vikram? I mean, do we think they're gonna beat? Do we think that they're going to get out of the second round? I mean, I guess the, my biggest problem for any team that's not the Lakers or the Clippers is they have to beat the Lakers or the Clippers unless they get on the correct side of the bracket. And so here's here's the best case outcome for Utah, okay? The best case outcome for Utah is they manage to keep the one seed. If they can keep the one seed, there's a lot of cool stuff that happens for them because we assume if they're the one seed that the Lakers and the Clippers are the two and the three seed. So that means the Lakers and Clippers meet up in the second round versus the Jazz having to play either of those two teams, in which case I think the other team, the Lakers and Clippers, would be favored. Outside of that, I don't know that they get out of the second round. So, like, really how different is that than before? And so I guess that's my problem is it's really tough for any of these teams to have the real upside uh, to get to the West, even the Western Conference Finals with the juggernauts that the Clippers and Lakers look like this year. So I think that overall is my, my takeaway for their playoff chances. That being said, I think the regular season chances are of being the number one seed are actually pretty decent. They show up on defense every night. They have a scheme that works pretty well in the regular season. Rudy Gobert is a phenomenal 
uh, defensive player, especially in the regular season where teams aren't looking to exploit necessarily his particular weaknesses, not that he has too many defensively, uh, but a drop coverage works quite well in, uh, in the regular season. The other thing I would say is uh, the ability to get the number of three-pointers that Utah has got up is absolutely amazing. And I think that works really well in the regular season. Uh, in the playoffs, I think the fact that they have no real forward defenders, I mean, Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neal, great players. And, and I actually genuinely enjoy watching both of them play. Uh, I just don't think they're equal to Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, or I don't know that they can slow down LeBron James either. And who's defending Anthony Davis for the Jazz too? So, I mean, it gets a little rough in the playoffs for the Jazz. What do you think? I, I think I'm thinking along those same lines. Again, it, it depends on matchups, and the matchups get very favorable for Utah. As you said, they, they, keep, the, they keep the number one seed. Uh, obviously, there are a bunch of positives to keeping a number one seed, right? Number one, you get home, home court advantage, and we all know, I mean, playing in Utah in the playoffs is tough, especially if fans are allowed to come back into the arena uh, in in the playoffs, right? Uh, we, yeah, we we yeah. we know how tough of a place Utah uh, um, Utah can be to play in. Uh, I mean, given the number of times we've seen them in in, in the playoffs throughout our lives, right? So yep. so so so, th- so there's that. But I I do agree with the with the if, uh, with the consensus that if they do fall to the two or three and they have to play the Lakers or the Clippers in the in the second round, uh, would you give them a chance in that series, like right now, given what we know? Not we, I, I, I would not because I mean, given given what we know, uh, in, in a playoff series, it's eas- much easier to adjust and to play against the Jazz, and uh, and more so. Uh, if you look at isolation scores for the Jazz, they don't really have that many. Um, I mean, Donovan Mitchell is definitely one guy, but he like him carrying the weight all on his own. We've seen this episode time and time again, right, Vikram, and it, it has not quite worked out in, in the playoffs. It, it almost worked in their first round series last year against Denver, but Denver was able to catch up and, and win that series. So like there, there's a scenario where Utah makes the conference finals. There's a scenario they lose in the first round, quite frankly. Like if, if, if they drop all the way to the three seed, then who are they playing in the, in the, in the first round Denver? That's not an easy matchup by any means. And I think that the fact that these teams have not been like playing to their full potential, or at least most of them have not been playing to their full potential potential yet. Uh, we, we just don't know who's going to be there waiting for Utah. So it's, it's something that's worth watching. But as you said, I do, I do love watching them play. Their style of play is definitely um, great to watch. Fun. And uh, Quinn Snyder has done a hell of a job. You talked about Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles. These are two guys who were like journeymen not too long ago. I mean, Royce O'Neal was barely in the league. Right, and now they're fi- finding spots on the Utah Jazz team. This get a credit to them; they they keep they keep keeping at it, right, with their rebuilding. I mean, not not rebuilding, but like build, building from within, right? And, Absolutely, and, and, and that, done that a tremendous is, job with that. Yeah, and that has definitely uh, get, had a fruitful result, given the continuity of their team. Right, they pretty much had the same core players for several years uh, running. So good for them. I think I, I think they are a really really good team in the Western Conference. We'll see what happens to them come come playoff time. But uh, like the the Clippers and the Lakers, right? I mean, you, you, we brought them up. Obviously, the Lakers coming off their championship, uh, they have won four straight, uh, four consecutive games recently. Are they starting to hit their stride, Vikram? You think? 
I'm sorry, say that one more time. I uh, know. I, I was just asking if the Lakers are starting to hit their stride. They've won, they've won four consecutive games. Um, are they looking like the team that won, won the championship next year, or do they just have way too many new players? They still have something to prove. I mean, I think that the two players that I think have really made a difference for them are Montrez Harrell and Dennis Schroeder. Not for the reasons you might think. Because I don't know, for example, I don't know how much Montrez is really going to play in the playoffs, for example. The reason I think that those players really, really matter for this team is they hustle. And with a team like the Lakers that really isn't going to get into gear until the playoffs, having dudes that go out there and just sacrifice, like a couple nights ago, Dennis Schroeder, like in a game against the Nuggets where it looked like the Nuggets were taking control going into uh, like they, they were up at the half. They looked like they were in control. The Lakers looked flat. I think they were up by a dozen at the half. Like Dennis Schroeder does some crazy stuff where on a, in a defensive position, he hits the ground twice. He knocks the ball away, lunges for it, knocks it away, gets up, lunges for it again, forces a, a shot clock violation, I believe. I mean, like, or out-of-bounds play with very little time on the clock. I can't exactly remember. But that's the type of thing that these types of players, and Montrez Harrell, every time he gets a dunk, is just bringing the energy. Like, that's what I'm seeing from the Lakers now, is just kind of getting into the flow of the season a little bit. I don't know how much of them you've watched, but I mean, uh, Anthony Davis has had a pretty off year, especially from the free throw line. Uh, he and, and LeBron can look disinterested at times which is crazy because both of them are going to both be all-stars and all-NBA players. And LeBron James is leading, uh, is, is probably the leading candidate for MVP this year. So it's uh, it's pretty insane. I don't know that they're really getting into the flow because I'm not sure they lost the flow. But I do think for them it's about figuring out what conservation of energy looks like uh, for the season. So I think that might be the best way that I would describe it. When you look at Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell, right, they're regular season players. They're eighty-two game players, and some and sometimes if you're if you're a team like the Lakers who are, are like you're sort of biding their time and trying to stay healthy for for the playoffs when it really really, really does matter, you do need those eighty-two game players who take the regular season seriously because you don't want too many games to get uh, get away from you. Obviously, the Lakers would uh, still like to finish with the number one seed, right? I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's always an advantage for you come come playoff time, and uh, you know, you you don't want the the Jazz to be the number one seed just because you took a couple of games off in the regular season, right? So that's the role that Jenna Schroeder and Montrezero, I think, are playing this year, and I, I think they're doing a really commendable job of that. But we'll see what kind of role they play come playoff time, uh, for for sure. So. Like another team I wanted to talk about, uh, Vikram, or and like I'm sort of switching from west to east because I think we've been sort of Western Conference centric for the duration of this discussion so far. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, obviously new coach Doc Rivers, uh, he's obviously brought in a new attitude, and uh, Joel Embiid, who we already knew as you know an All Star uh, player, who's I mean who, whose talent is sort of unbounded. And has sort of come out of his shell this year and played really, really well. And all of a sudden, the the additions of Seth Curry, um, uh, along with like, like Ben Simmons, just being more aggressive, and the the Philadelphia 76ers are are looking up, and uh, and they're going to have something to say about who comes out of the Eastern Conference come playoff time, I believe. Like, so what do you think about the 76ers? What do you think about Doc Rivers' job so far? 
uh, and Joel Embiid's case for an MVP this year? Well, I think my overall observation would be Joel Embiid still needs to prove to me that he can be the number one engine of an, a successful offense in a competitive playoff series. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing. I think he can do it, but the results have been mixed so far in his career. And so that's the real question is whether a squad that's going to create through a center can still be successful in this type of environment. Like uh, last year's Boston series, I think was really illustrative of that fact. Granted, like everybody was hurt for that team and their spacing was awful. But the fact that Joel Embiid has to get the ball is a little bit different than Jokic, where Jokic can kind of dribble into his post-ups and things like that, going back to another center MVP candidate. But Joel Embiid has, has really been remarkable for this team. But I think one of the things that's underrated, you mentioned it, is I think Doc Rivers has had a really tremendous impact on this team, not just on Embiid and Simmons, but actually Tobias Harris has had a real resuscitation of his I wouldn't even say resuscitation because he's always played well, but I think that his best time prior to this time period was when he was under Doc Rivers in L.A. And I think that what he's done this season is actually one of the biggest differences in that team right now in that he is an isolation scorer and he can get a shot off at the end where Joel Embiid has to be given the ball in the post, for example, and Ben Simmons isn't a threat on offense. Tobias Harris is a no-crap isolation scorer that can get off a shot in the mid-range, then can get off a shot against an opposition in a way that is you know, pretty successful in the last minute or so of a game. And then on top of that, you add spacing in the form of Seth Curry and in Danny Green. Danny Green can be streaky, but Seth Curry certainly uh, can be has been really remarkable for this team. And I think one of the teams, the Dallas Mavericks, that let him go are really missing him, actually. And so I think that those combinations of players are really powerful for this team. And I'm looking forward to watching to watching them continue the season. And I think they've got a pretty good shot of, you know, being the number one seed in the East. And I think that would be really nice for them to be able to capitalize on that. Now, do I think that I favor them against the Nets or against, you know, the Bucks or even the Celtics? I'm not sure yet. I kind of want to see a little bit more. I think it's real matchup dependent. For example, I think the Celtics are going to have a lot of trouble this time around uh, guarding the 76ers. And I think the 76ers are a much better team this year than they were in the past. Uh, against the Bucks, I don't really know what the Bucks are going to look like in the playoffs. I think they, they can still be schemed against. And they have a lot of one-way players, man. A lot of one-way players, especially coming off the bench. And with the Nets, it's a question of can you score more points than the Nets are going to put up? And I, I don't know. I don't really know. So I think that's that's where I'm at, man. Right. And and obviously, like, again, like just like last year, Vikram, the top four in the East, they're loaded. Right. And it's going to be it's going to be a very, very interesting Eastern Conference semifinals if everything pans out the way we think it will pan out. Right. With uh, I mean, with the, with the top four in the East, just I mean, obviously coming out of that. Uh, Toronto is is ten and thirteen. Uh, whether uh, I mean whether they they climb the standings, they very very well could climb the standings and find themselves in the top four. There's not that much of a gap between them and say the number four seed Brooklyn Nets. There there just isn't. Uh, do I do I see them climbing to the top four? Probably not this year, but 
but but we will see that the Knicks, the New York Knickerbockers, are eleven and thirteen. Mikram, when's the last time you could say that? Like, usually, like if if the Knicks have eleven wins, it's usually they're like eleven and twenty-five or something like that. But like eleven and thirteen, do you think the Knicks are a playoff team this year? And if they are, is the is Tom Thibodeau the unquestioned coach of the year at that point? Dude, let me put it this way: the league is so much better when we have a good New York Knicks team. And I think that's where I start and finish with this. Not even, I, not even a great New York Knicks, a good one. Just, good I one. mean, like a New York Knicks team that's in the playoffs, man. Yeah. You know what? Like that matters. It really, really does. And so I'm kind of like, I'm actually really excited about this. Uh, I think they've got a shot. I mean, R.J. Barrett looks like a legit NBA player. He looks like what they drafted him to be. Can he shoot? Eh, not really. But his free throw shooting has been good this year or better. I mean, his ability to create has been better. I think he's had a really good year. The Julius Randle revolution has appeared. I mean, like, he's getting some all-star buzz, right, in the East. I mean, yeah. and he's had just a tremendous yeah. season. He's everything that they wanted when they when they signed him from the Pelicans. And, I mean, there's no question they're going to pick up his $19.8 million option for next year. Like, there's no, none in my mind at all. I mean, he has, he has played an extraordinarily high level. And so I think that – I think they've got a shot. I think they've got a real legitimate shot at making the playoffs. I mean, if you look at the standings below them, the real, the only real question for me is, do we think that the Miami Heat are going to recover? Like, that's the question. Because if they recover, then I think the Knicks are probably on the outside looking in. Because I think even on the outside of the playing tournament. No, 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 no. I think they'll be in the playing tournament. But your seven and eight seed, in what I'm seeing, is likely going to be like the Heat and you know the Hawks, the Hawks probably. I imagine the Raptors are going to kind of – they're hitting their groove too. Uh, they had a really – and we, we can talk about that Nets game, particularly uh, due to the whole COVID part a little bit later here. But I think that it'll be like the Hawks and the Heat, and that's who you're going to want to try and play in, and you got to win two games. That uh, could be a little tough, my man. could be a little tough. Yeah, I mean, all, all these scenarios, we're trying to play it out in our head. I mean – just having the play-in tournament, like, it gives you, like, different combinations and, and permutations that you have to think about, right? And and obviously, it, it, the goal should not be to make the play-in tournament, right? The goal should be to make the playoffs. The The play-in tournament is, is really, like, a fallback option just in case the season didn't go the way you would expect it to go, right? But the real goal is to be, to, to be in the top six. The emphasis of being in the top six is increased because of the play-in tournament. So, do I think the Knicks will be in the plan? Uh, I think ab- absolutely at this point. I don't. I don't see anyone else in that playing range who can really compete with them if they're able to keep this up. And even if they do make the playing tournament, I think Tom Thibodeau has a really, really strong case for Coach of the Year. And you mentioned it, like Julius Randle. Like, how quickly has an opinion changed on a certain player? Like that we were talking about, right? Like last year, we couldn't talk. We couldn't say anything great about Julius Randle at all. Uh, but I mean, this year it's it's all changed, and I mean, RJ Barrett looks more fluid on offense. Uh, Mitchell Robinson is playing great defense. They have a they have a true defensive identity in in New York, and you couldn't be you probably couldn't say that for like 
I don't know, 25 years. Like, it's, when's the last time the Knicks had a really good defensive team when they had Patrick Ewing? Right? Yeah, something so like that, man. Uh, the John yeah. Starks, Patrick Ewing, you know, like that time period probably. And, yeah, it's, it's going to be, like, it's going to be really great to see, like, what Madison Square Garden is actually like during play because that's, that's the sort of venue that has sort of lost its luster over the years. Like, we even we, like, talk to kids uh, who are younger than us, like, why, like, they, they keep asking me, why is Madison Square Garden, like, such a big deal? Like, why, 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 why are people hyping it up to more than it needs to be? There's never been a playoff game played there. And, like, it, to some extent, like, they were right. It, 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 been, it has been overhyped, but it's been overhyped for a reason. It's because the, the, the basketball played there in the, in the 90s was, uh, was really one of a kind. And, like, I mean, this pandemic and the time that we had off from uh, basketball and COVID, uh, the NBA TV was playing, were playing those games, and those were riveting to watch. Dude, so, um, I mean, uh, this is definitely, like, last dance type material. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I mean... You just remember how insane some of those series were. And I mean, oh, continue, say what Bulls, you're saying. Bulls and Knicks, all right? Oh, yeah, obviously, obviously, the Bulls and Knicks like, is, is stand out in a great way. Knicks versus Spurs, Knicks versus Heat, Knicks versus Pacers with Reggie Miller and, and, and those guys. Like, those games used to be like something else, right? And I was, I was a big Allen Houston fan back in the day. Like I and uh, it's it's good to see the Knicks finally start to return back to those days. Uh, let's go across the borough though uh, to Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets. That is, and um, they have had one of the more interesting first twenty-five games that you could find in the NBA today. Like just like insane amounts of ups and downs, um, insane amount of a number of events that have taken place on that on that team. And, and you wonder, like, with, I mean, with this sort of, uh, like, ups and downs going moving forward, uh, would the team be able to play uh, to its full potential during the playoffs? I guess we will have to see when the playoffs start. But they're now 14 and 11. Uh, they start off the season really, really strong. Like, they looked sort of invincible in a way. Kevin Durant was looking like an MVP and is still looking like an MVP. And then Kyrie Irving sort of disappeared uh, and uh, it was surprising, but not surprising, right? It was one of those things where, yeah, that's one thing you would expect from Kyrie, but you wouldn't expect any player in the NBA to do that. And, uh, I mean, it, it was one of the weirder stories to tell in the NBA. You, some people wondered whether Kyrie would come back. And in the middle of that, the Brooklyn Nets trade for James Harden. And all of a sudden, the, the Nets have uh, James Harden, uh, Ky- uh, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. But but no defense to really speak of. Uh, they are still trying to find those other pieces to fill out their roster, quite frankly. And when you're a team as good as they are, uh, chances are in the waiver wire, when whenever the those decisions are made by other teams, those players will probably make the choice to come to come to Brooklyn, especially if you're a defensive-minded center. I think the Brooklyn Nets would very much welcome that. But yeah, um, the Brooklyn Nets' objective so far this season is to try and outscore other teams. And uh, I mean, with the talent that they have, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't disagree with that um, strategy, especially since their coaches are Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni back when they were in Phoenix, they would pretty much, they would pretty much try the same sort of thing. Um, But yeah, I mean, sort of a topsy-turvy type of season. 
and, and that ends up at Brooklyn being, you know, somewhere around 500, 14, 11, but they can obviously play much better and pull off a, like an eight or nine game winning streak and be like 10 or 11 games over 500 and on par with the top teams in the Eastern conference. So like uh, after my spiel, uh, Vikram, like, what do you think of Brooklyn, uh, their team, their makeup and uh, uh, their chances moving forward? I mean, if you like offense, got a good squad for that, right? It is frankly amazing to watch KD, Kyrie, and James Harden just go to work, especially at the end of games, man. It's just, it's like, who's got the easiest matchup? We're going there. We're going to keep bringing in this dude. We're going to get the one-on-one matchup we want. We're going to go at him. It's truly remarkable on the offensive end. On the defensive end, it's been problems. You talked about the waiver wire a little bit, but it's like, I'm not even sure who would help them at this point, actually. So, like, that's actually my big question is, who do we actually think is going to help them, you know, achieve what they're trying to achieve in winning a championship? Is there a buyout guy? Is there a waiver wire guy that's, like, really going to help them? Uh, is, is Andre – I've heard rumors that Andre Drummond might get bought. There's no chance he's getting bought out. Here's why he's not going to get bought out. First of all, the Cavs don't necessarily know that they want to get rid of him. Jared Allen would indicate that they would. But I think they're more likely to hold on to him just so to see if they can execute like a sign-in trade or something. They get literally nothing out of buying him out. Nothing. Not a thing, honestly. And it's not as if he has the cachet with the organization to be like, all right, I've I've been a good soldier for y'all. Buy me out so I can go to a winning team, right? And the other thing is, the Cavs might be in the playing tournament, bro. I think that's actually – I think that's the biggest impediment to a lot of these buyouts is a lot of the bad teams are going to be able to convince themselves that they've got a chance. I actually think the most likely center that they could pick up that might actually make it an okay difference for them is like Hassan Whiteside, right? I think there's a chance he gets bought off by, uh, by the Kings. And that might be that – that's the type of fit I think you might be able to see. So there's there's Hassan Whiteside, um, like just going go, go, going down the list of teams. Um, OKC, I don't think they have they have a big man they're looking to wave. Memphis, same sort of thing. But again, those are teams that are in the play-in. They 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 are in they're in play for the play-in tournament, right? And I think yeah, I I think every team with the exception of probably Minnesota, Detroit, and maybe even Washington can talk themselves into a chance of being in the playoffs, either, you know, either through making the top six seeds or through the play. Right. So I think that competitive, uh, that those competitive um, chances that teams have will prevent those kinds of players from being bought out. You make a good point, but obviously like talking about Brooklyn, Right? Will the lack of defense come back to hurt them at some point? Will will they be in a situation where, oh my God, we cannot stop the Sixers from scoring, but we have to because they're clearly outscoring us, and uh, we don't have the goods on defense. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: like overall, we're you know, just to go one step a little broader. Who do you think are the top teams in the East? I 
Okay, is, is that a, is that a question? Is it rhetorical? No, no, no. Just, you're asking. Yeah, for, I'm just asking for for an answer. Well, uh, right, right. So, uh, I mean, the top teams in the East, from my from my money, are pretty much the top four we see right now: Philly, Milwaukee, Boston, Brooklyn. Not right. in any particular order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and of those four, who do you think is most likely to come out? Most likely, yeah. Right now, I'd say Brooklyn. And that's because I think you and I are both on the same page here. Like. Offensive talent is undeniable at some point, right? Like that's very true. That's, that's our theory of this case, right? Is that right with those three guys, their offense is so insane that you know what? They're good to go. And who's gonna stop them? I think overall that's where I'm at now, man. Forget the defense, forget the waiver wire, forget the whoever they've got, forget the standings. Like at some point. If you have three insane players, you've got a shot as long as your team chemistry doesn't actually like uh, completely fall apart. So, like, uh, I mean, the answer to this question that I'm about to ask you for me is no. But like, would you be disturbed if? Uh, I mean, I mean, were, were you disturbed by the Nets losing a back-to-back to the Caps, going to Cleveland, losing both games? Uh, Were you concerned by that? Just as concerned as I am that the Lakers lost a game to Detroit and then had to play a double overtime game with them. Seasons are long, man. Stuff happens. I I don't really care too much. Yeah. I mean, I I think... I'm with you. I mean, we've been through this road with a lot of different teams, right? I mean, when the Cavs and the Warriors were going through, like, their... NBA finals run, you would see like regular season games where you would not see the sort of requisite result. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just trying to like corner, like is, is that is, are, are those just like a result of not, not coming to play that day or uh, not, not really taking the regular season as seriously as other teams do, or was, was, was it a sign of like a caution, a points of caution to watch out for? Uh, because like when you do play the top teams in the East, it's not like the Sixers lack offense, right? And it's especially like we talked about like last year, for example, the Nuggets played the the Clippers and the Nuggets were, were able to win. Why? Because they had one um, one player, Nikola Jokic, who was a bad matchup for pretty much anybody the, the, the Clippers could put on him. The 76ers could say the same thing about Joel Embiid with respect to the Nets, right? The Nets don't really play have a player they can put on Joel Embiid. And the point that you made at the beginning of the show when you're talking about can Joel Embiid be the center point of an offense in the playoffs? Well, we'll find out in a, in a meeting against Brooklyn because he will have favorable matchups most, if not all the time. Yeah, basically all the time. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I can't think of a matchup in which he would not have a favorable matchup. Like, against any exactly. of these teams, so right? In, in, that, in, in that particular scenario, do you, would, would you see the Nets being in trouble like for me, it'd be no because they were they're playing in a seven game series, and just like the 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 Nets have to stop Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid has to stop the Nets, right? And and the other players on, on the Sixers have to stop the Nets. And I don't think the Sixers have the requisite defensive talent, as from what I've seen so far, to to stop every single player on the Nets. It's doesn't seem possible. I would tend to agree with you. And the Nets would have to be like incredibly, like incredibly cold in the sense that 
Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden would have to have mediocre, like a mediocre playoff series for them to lose an entire series. And at that point, if that were to happen, we we could probably, uh, and excuse my language here, we could probably crap on the Nets however we want to, just like we crapped on the Clippers last year. Yeah, more or less. That is just about right, my man. Like, I, I do not see an instance in which I find it likely, at the very least, that the Nets lose because people don't show up. I think that, like you said, there's a chance that like a Joel Embiid abuses them so badly and the the Philadelphia 76ers can throw just enough defensive talent at them to make it such that they win that game. I just don't see how that's really going to be possible in the, you know, I I just don't see how, I don't think that you're going to find too many games where Kyrie, KD, and James Harden are all off. And on top of that, Joel Embiid has a, a monster game as well. And that has to happen like four times, right? We talk a lot about how, do, like when we had the Dynasty Golden State Warriors team, right? Our question was always, how, how are the Warriors going to lose? What team is going to possibly beat them four out of seven times? That was always the question that we asked. And I, I right, have the right. same type of question now. How, like what team actually exists to make them lose like that in the east in the east yeah and so you know that's that's my overall i think my biggest overall question mm-hmm. well the sixers did play the nets today and uh the nets obviously they're missing kd and Kyrie. we'll get into that COVID stuff uh and the nets uh it doesn't look like the nets were missing uh, sorry it doesn't look like the sixers were missing anybody and they won by 16 points. So it sounds about right. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how, how it all shapes yeah. up. So, uh, a no yeah, KD, of- no Kyrie situation. Yeah, doesn't look so great. I mean, and I don't know that we expected it to look particularly great either, to be honest. So I'm not mad about it at all. But, you know, with the knowledge that that's how this is going to go. Yeah. And speaking of KD, can we get into COVID? Absolutely, talk? man. I think that's the the real conversation for us to have. So, so why why don't you take us take us through the entire KD situation, and uh, why why it's so asinine that uh, th- that this happened, and why we probably have to deal with it for uh, on, on a game by game basis? So, I think that the issue is that. Like, let me, let me just read you the headline. And I think this is the problem. We'll, we'll talk about the All-Star game here with respect to this as well. But the, uh, the Nets Daily had this wonderful headline. Confusion reigns as Kevin Durant exits game due to COVID protocols and Nets fall to the Raptors 123 to 117. Right? So here's the deal. A few minutes before the tip, Kevin Durant was pulled from, from the layup line and said – and he was told that he wouldn't start. Right? One of his associates had tested inconclusively for COVID-19. And so basically under the health and safety protocols for the league, he should not be able to play. So he was set off to, to sit in the, you know, in one of the rooms at Barclays Center for some period of time. With 417 left in the first quarter, the league allowed him to, uh, to actually sub in. 
So interesting, interesting side note here. This is the first time in his career that he hasn't started. So that was an interesting thing. That's another crazy COVID stat here. So in his like final <laughs> stats, you're going to see this one game he didn't start. And people are always going to wonder why. This is why. Uh, but besides that, this idea that, okay, an associate tested inconclusively for COVID-19, we're going to sit you out. Well, the first question is, well, why would you let him check back in at 417 in the first if there was a problem in the first place? Like, follow your own protocol if you're going to follow your own protocol. So exactly. the next part, so this, it gets even worse, right? He only played 19 minutes in this game. So with 906 in the third quarter, during a timeout, they found the league found out during this, this intermediate intervening time period that that same associate was actually positive for COVID-19. Kevin Durant was then told officially that he had to leave the game. And uh, he had the most epic tweet ever. Free me during the game, which was which was hilarious. So <laughs> to kind of sum it up, the league the league sent out a statement, and this is Persham Sharania. Uh, the I, the statement says Kevin Durant has tested negative three times in the past twenty four hours, including two negative PCR tests today. However, someone he interacted with this afternoon subsequently had an inconclusive test result returned shortly before the game. Durant was initially held out of the game while that was result was being reviewed. Under the league's health and safety protocols, we do not require a player to be quarantined until a close contact has confirmed a positive test. Uh, during the game, a positive result was returned for the person Durant interacted with this afternoon. Once that test was confirmed positive, out of abundance of caution, Durant was removed from the game. Here's the problem. The test result was inconclusive before the game, so he shouldn't have been held out in the first quarter. So that part doesn't make any sense. Uh, it shouldn't have gone back in the game. The yeah, I, I think that's the, that's the key. Yeah. That is absolutely mm -hmm. key. And so there's a lot of complaints. There are a lot of complaints. And obviously Kevin Durant is leading these complaints because it is absolutely ridiculous to have this level of inconsistency from the league. If you're going to have the man sit out because of health and safety protocols, have him sit out because of health and safety protocols. Don't do this in and out, in and out type of thing. If you're going to have an abundance of caution, which I'm generally in favor of, especially given the success that the league had with the bubble, then – be as cautious as you want, but just don't jerk people around. And then secondly, this seems like a huge PR stunt. And that's uh, one of one of Kevin Durant's uh, tweets back was, yo, at NBA, your fans aren't dumb. You can't fool them with your whack-ass PR tactics. You know what's really ridiculous about this? We're about to have an all-star game. And, I mean, that seems like a really, really bad idea for two or three reasons. And I, I know I'm slightly switching the subject here, but – the idea for me is if you're going to have – they're all related. Yeah, I mean these are all related in that if you're going to have COVID protocols and they're going to be really stringent, you're going to postpone games, you're going to do all the stuff, do that. I understand why you're going to do that. But then don't amplify the risk by having Kevin Durant play for part of the first quarter, take him out in the third quarter. What about all the people he's interacted with now? Like how are you going to do that contact tracing? You've made the situation worse for yourself. And then on top of that, don't tell me we really care about whether the players get sick or not. And then have an all-star game where you're going to bring all of the players, all of the, all of the best players in the league to one central location where things are slightly open in Atlanta. Like that just seems like it's asking for trouble. I don't understand how the league can stay with a straight face. We're about player safety, but then do an all-star game where clearly the only real reason for that is revenue. And again, 
also that totally makes sense. But don't try to talk one like don't try to talk out of two sides of your face at the same time. That's my issue with this. Yeah, obviously revenue is uh, revenue is a part of it. the uh, The other thing is that uh, the the players are not getting that much time. The players who are making the All Star game pretty much have to fly into Atlanta, play the game, and then fly out and put, they pretty much have a game the next day, the next day, right? So they, the the players who make the All Star team really don't have an All Star break, right? Which is something that is that is needed in uh, I mean today's day and age in the NBA, players just can get four or five days off. It's much much needed and much deserved. Right. So, uh, I mean, regarding that and uh, but just going back to the point here. Right. Uh, right. I mean, you're right. Like, why was Kevin Durant yo-yoed? Like, and, and what if what if this happened with another player who actually got COVID from the associate? Like to like throw out the fact that Kevin Durant already had COVID. Right. Like he I mean, he claims he had COVID. He, pro- he probably did have COVID. And he and he's probably tested negative three consecutive times because uh, because he already had COVID and and hence. Um, he had, he already has the antibodies for it, right? But this could have happened to anybody. It, it's it didn't it didn't have to happen to KD. The the, the fact that it happened to KD probably shed a, a bigger light on it. But it could have happened to anybody. And anybody who has an associate who 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 got COVID, right? What if they were yo-yoed like this? Then it would have been a grave danger for the rest of the players playing. And that's where you get multiple games cancellations. Multiple teams have to quarantine. Right. And that's when you get um, uh, like a greater number of postponements because, you know, multiple teams are on the court at that period of time. And because of that, you you're putting like the rest of the league in great danger because like just like any virus, uh, it multiplies. Yeah. I mean, that's simply put, you know, Kevin Durant has been the strangest case because he's had COVID. He's had on two separate occasions, this being the second one, having to sit out due, uh, due to an abundance of caution. All that is completely and totally fine, and I'm I'm okay with the league not having some exception for people who have tested positive for COVID nineteen, particularly with uh, the recent medical evidence that you can get this the other strands of COVID nineteen or the other mutations of COVID nineteen if you've had one or the other. So, and we don't really have all of the data about COVID reinfection. I think it's still that's where I'm going to agree with the league where it's better safe than sorry on that. But like you said. This is pretty – it's pretty nuts, right? Like I think this Kevin Durant situation is the best case scenario for the league. And that's saying something, right? Like it could have been so much worse. And that's what really makes me kind of uh, kind of afraid about whether or not we're going to end up being able to complete the season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think – I mean – by hook or crook, the NBA is going to find a way to complete the season, just like every, just like every other sports league in, in during the, I mean, during these times, have found a way to complete the season. But like, it becomes you know player safety over revenue, right? And obviously, KD's a big name, so whenever he plays, like it's it's a big it's a big deal. Whenever his name is in the news, it's a it's a big deal. And the the fact that the NBA and the and the players' association also agreed to the All Star game, right? Right? Right, Vikram. I mean. It was it was a dual agreement. It was a two way agreement to have the All Star game in Atlanta. Obviously, this is to increase the league's revenue, right? Which I mean, which makes sense because the league has not made money this year. Let's just put put it put it very bluntly. They they have not made money this year, and this is an opportunity for them to like recuperate some recuperate some of that. But like, yeah, again, stop talking out of both sides of your mouth. You're either about player safety or you're not. And and I don't I do not think that there's a happy medium. 
that's that's my thing about it. Yep, I'm basically 100% with you. It's all about the Benjamins, man. And uh, like I said, I don't blame any of the sides here for this, by the way. Right? Right. I mean, it's it, just, it, it, let's be honest about what it is. We're doing this because the league needs to make money in order to be like viable over the next 10 years to 15, 20, 30 years, right? Like, the loss in the one year loss in revenue can be quite devastating, and this is a way to mitigate that. And that's again, that is completely fine to say, but let's just be honest about that with that being what is actually happening. So, are they actually is Atlanta actually letting fans into the game? That I have no, I, I actually really don't know how uh, this is working in that respect. So, I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I don't know how you can make an exception for an all-star no, game. No, you can't because no fans have been allowed in, in in State Farm Stadium so far. State Farm Arena. My bad. I don't think you can. I think you are spot on with respect to that. It would pre- pretty much be uh, like it would pretty much be ratings and ad revenue. Yeah, it, I mean, it would be it would be blatantly irresponsible. I don't think you could. I don't think we could countenance it actually. So I'm not – I don't think that that's necessarily possible. Uh, we will see, but I would be – like I think it would be pretty – I think it would be a very hard sell, to be honest. I don't know that – I think the NBA has a lot of good PR for what they've done or, or accomplished during this time period. I think you could lose that very quickly if you were to make the wrong move here. Oh, yeah. And they're already good, kind good, of getting good. to that point. This, I think, would be more like a final uh, – yeah, the like final I think this would be the straw that breaks the camel's back kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the, the, we might have issues with the actual All-Star game, but we, you know what we don't What's have that? issues with, Vikram? Naming the All-Star. No, no, we do not have trouble with that. (laughs) Yes. So uh, speaking of which, uh, the All-Star voting is uh, is underway. And uh, we have our first fan returns based on on the voting that has already taken place. So uh, and for the Western Conference in the front court, uh, LeBron James, uh, Nikola Jokic and Kawhi Leonard are leading leading the vote getting uh, there. Anthony Davis is trailing Kawhi Leonard by... uh, by a hundred thousand votes or something like that, or less than a hundred thousand even. So there's a plausible chance that Anthony Davis could catch up and get into the top three, which would, uh, which would uh, make, make him an all-star starter. Um, obviously the, the fan vote is not the only uh, determinant. The, the, there's also a, a media vote, if I'm not mistaken, right, Vikram. And uh, what, what is the, I believe it's the player's vote. vote. Uh, yeah. And, and it's, and, and the players as well. So, uh, but I mean, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, Kawhi Leonard, and and the I, I mean, it, it sounds about there's there there are no outliers there. You could say so. The, it's it's very plausible that those three could be the front court players in the in the Western Conference or three, three out of those four, right? And uh, going to the guards, uh, Steph Curry and Luka Doncic are the top two vote getters. Um, I did not see Steph, Steph Curry learn, losing his top spot. He has a uh, 800,000 vote lead over Luka Doncic in second place, who has a 400,000 vote lead over Damian Lillard. So you're looking at Steph Curry and Luka Doncic being the starters for the guards in the in the West. 
and uh, Dame Lillard is uh, third in the voting there. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, we have uh, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Joel Embiid uh, leading the vote uh, getting in the Eastern Conference. You can easily see those three being the Eastern Conference starters in the front court as Jason Tatum is almost 700,000 votes behind Joel Embiid. You don't see him catch, uh, catching up to that. Um, and, uh, and for the guards in the Eastern Conference, uh, Bradley Beal and Kyrie Irving have the lead uh, for now, but uh, uh, James Harden is only trailing Kyrie Irving by 80,000 votes, so you can easily see him catching up and taking one of the guard, spars, guard spots. And uh, it, just, a, uh, just a note, if, if James Harden uh, is the starting guard over Kyrie Irving, will Kyrie Irving make a uh, make an all-star spot? Ooh, that's from? an interesting question. I yeah. have not actually game-planned it out that far, actually. I mean, I mm-hmm. think it's tough. I think that the it is likely that the coaches would still vote the dude in simply because certainly – that's where it, that's where it gets tricky, right? Because the coaches like what kind that, of that's a question. That's a it's a real question. Yeah, it's a it's mm-hmm. definitely a question that's worth asking. And I I could tell you I honestly don't have an answer for you on that one. It's a good question though. I mean, you, you I I mean I don't want to you know um, pour uh, fuel over the fire here, like like they say, right? But like. You wanted to take your ball and go home. Well, like uh, this time we are taking the ball away from you and you can still go home. Right. So it's, it's, it's one of those, one of those things. I mean, we'll see. It would be very, very interesting if that were to happen. James Harden's only 80,000 votes behind. So it, it, it could very much, very well happen that James Harden takes over Kyrie Irving with the, with the second spot. Uh, it's also very plausible that Kyrie Irving could, uh, and James Harden could pass Bradley Beal uh, if there's only a 100,000 vote difference between Kyrie Irving and Bradley Beal and, and James Harden, like so, there, I mean, there's there's a chance that we could see uh, a lot of shakeup in how that top three, uh, how the top top three spots go as far as the guard position um, is considered in the Eastern Conference. But yeah, what do you, what do you think of the starters, Vikram, in general? And uh, based on those uh, findings that we have so far, who do you think? Has a good chance of making, you know, the other reserve spots in the for the. Who did you pick your as your starters? One more time. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, it's it's not me. It's based on the fan vote. So the starters so far for the West, it'll be Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, and LeBron James, Nikola Mm -hmm. Jokic, Kawhi Leonard. In the in the Eastern Conference, we have Bradley Beal and Kyrie Irving, along with Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Joel Embiid. Okay. So I think in the West, we're going to have to find a way for Dame to be in there, obviously. Uh, We had an interesting conversation about whether or not we think that Donovan Mitchell is going to be in there. So that's a question. I think uh, AD is definitely going to be in there in the West. I'll start with the West, right? So for me, you're going to end up – like if we look at the standings, right, we have – we have the Jazz, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns, and the Spurs. So in some way, shape, or form from the Jazz, I don't know who's going to be an all-star from the Jazz yet. From the Lakers, we have AD and LeBron. From the Clippers, we have Kawhi and we have Paul George. Okay, We know that those four are all going to be on there. We know that from Denver, you're going to get Jokic. That's five. You're going to get Steph. That's six. You're going to get 
Uh, you're definitely going to get Luca. That's seven, right? And that leaves no Trailblazer, no Sun, no Jazz player, no Spurs player, and then no Pelicans player. So now you only have five slots left, one of which is definitely going to be Dame. So now you're down to four slots, right? And this is where stuff gets really complicated. Uh, I mean, do we think that the league is not going to throw or the coaches are not going to throw an Ingram or a Zion on this team? I'm not 100% sure about that. But I definitely think at least one Jazz player is going to be on this team. I think it'll be Donovan Mitchell is, is going to be there. Uh, I think that there's going to be a mm-hmm. Phoenix Sun there too, and I'm not sure who exactly it'll be off the Suns, whether it's – Yeah, or it Devin CP3 Booker. Or I Devin feel Booker. like it'll be CP3, not because I think he's been better than – than Devin Booker, but because he's just yeah, I, I just think it's it's one of these things where we know how this is going to look to the league, right? Like we know what this looks like. I mean, I can't imagine he doesn't get it. Actually, I would be genuinely shocked if he did not, uh, if if CPT did not get it over. If if Booker makes the All Star team over CP3, it will show a change yeah, of the tide. I think it's a, a real changing of the guard moment. So yeah. I'm completely with okay. you on that. So now we have three slots left, or do we? Wait, wait, wait no, yeah. we have two slots left. So who are giving the other two to? So this is where it gets tricky, right? And this is where I, I honestly. I'm not 100% sure about who's going to get these remaining spots. I think that there is a chance that the Jazz could get another all-star, like a Rudy Gobert uh, could potentially make it. I think they're probably – I mean, do we think that the Spurs have a chance of having somebody? Like, does a John Morant maybe – has he played enough games to get it? Do you think Zion might have a legitimate shot at it? I mean – that's the real question. Well, if Zion has to get picked by coaches, I don't, I don't, if Zion was going to get picked by anyone this year, it would be the fans, right? I don't think Zion would be picked by, yeah, and that's the thing. That's the tough yeah. part, right? And that's the thing. Cause you're really looking at like he, so do you look like, do you look at a guy? I, like do, I just Wood? don't think Christian, well, first of all, Christian Wood is, is hurt and he's week to week. So I don't know that he's going to end up playing enough games, and that's the same way that I feel about uh, C.J. McCollum, actually. And so I just don't think he's going to play enough uh, enough games. C.J. C.J. McCollum would be Dude. a shoe in if he was healthy. That would actually be really tricky because uh, we would then we we might be in a situation where we have no uh, where we would have only one blazer, and I don't like that because I think that I definitely do believe that. CJ deserves to be an all-star at least one at uh, one point in the season. Another another chance player that I think might have an opportunity is actually Mike Conley. I think he might be an interesting choice to include, especially with the Jazz playing as well as they are. If the coaches decide that they want to have uh, they want to have a, a like the best team in the league record-wise, or at least in the West record-wise, uh, have another all-star, that might not be a bad choice. So that is an interesting possibility. Looking at the other part of the list, I don't know that Andrew Wiggins is really going to – how much all-star buzz he really no, has, for example. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know, man. No. I, I think John Morant might be. People people in Sacramento are clamoring. I, I don't for think it's going to happen, Fox. man. I think before De'Aaron Fox gets it, Mike Conley might. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it would go to the player with the most wins. But De'Aaron Fox, he's, he's had a tremendous season so far. 22.4 points, six and a half assists. But your team probably has to be better you know, in order to exactly. garner that sort of attention. But, but, but yeah. But but anyways, I think I, I think we pretty much discussed the twelve spots in the West. Now let's go to the East. So the East, uh, let, let's say the East, or we already decided on Katie, Giannis, Joel, Bradley Beal, and for yeah. for the time being, Kyrie Irving. So we got, so five slots taken. James Harden is yeah. number six for sure. Uh, I think Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are pretty much shoe ins. Uh, Trey Young, I think, is pretty mm-hmm. much a shoe in. Yeah, seven, eight, nine. Uh, for Miami, it's actually interesting. I don't know. That's actually the the most interesting question. Is does Miami? I don't know that I he has. I'm not sure games. that he has played enough games. The question I actually have is: Do we? Is there a possibility they have no all stars? There's. I mean, I don't think it's probable, but I suppose it's possible. Has Bam done so, enough man. to Bam be an has been pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I haven't looked at the stats for Bam, but no, I mean, Bam, Bam is having a really, really good year, actually. So is there? Yeah, he's. Let me let me give you his stats. He's twenty points a game, yeah. ten rebounds, five assists. Yeah, I mean, I think he's and he's shooting fifty eight percent from the field. Uh <laughs> And 87% from the line, getting a block and a steal a game. Yeah, he's – he's yeah, I think he's in. He's, he's in. I think he's in. <laughs> I mean, the Heat have just been super bad this year. Okay, and – okay, now we're at 10. We're, we're at 10. We got two more slots left. Who are we giving to? Are we giving a slot to Gordon Dude, Hayward this year? I don't think so. It's hard. I just I don't think so. It's man. hard. Sh- Charlotte has been. They have been an entertaining team to watch this year. I will. That they have. I been. will say that they have absolutely um, been entertaining. And at some point, that's the point of basketball. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you know, who knows? Maybe maybe entertainment. I mean, leads them to being uh, like a better team going forward. Ten and thirteen. Gordon Hayward. <sighs> yeah. It's hard. It's hard. Zach Levine. Zach Levine, he was an all-star last year. But that's only because they all-star. I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, probably that's true. But, uh, I mean, I think he he's another one of these players that I think has got a chance. But I'm not 100. I'm not, like, convinced that. I mean, I guess his level of scoring has been quite remarkable. So I should knock that. He's got a shot. But... I mean, it gets really tight with these last slots, right? Do we feel like he's more deserving yeah. than Julius Randle, for example? I mean, is he more deserving than Colin Sexton, for example? Ooh. I, I, it's like, I mean, there. Colin Sexton's averaging over 20 a game, I think. And he, he the is. Cavaliers you, are you 10 are and 14. 
23. And, uh, and, and we haven't even they talked are. about who on the Toronto Raptors do we think is going to be an all-star. Like, Kyle Lowry is still yeah. in the league, man, you know? And he's averaging 18, 6, he and 7. Uh, Pascal Siakam was... What is, what is Fred... What is, what is Fred I, I don't Van think Fleet? Fred Van Vliet is averaging Freddy enough, Buffett. even though he had 54 the other day. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, he's at. Oh snap! He's leading the team in scoring with twenty a game, bro. <laughs> Fred VanVleet is leading the wait, team wait, with who? twenty a game. With, with, with twenty a game, I see. Uh, that's not that's not surprising to me. The last year, the the last year the Raptors the Raptors had two All Stars. Yeah, and so and uh, I think the real the interesting question is Pascal Siakam. It's actually is is coming back up, thankfully, after his like really difficult start. Yeah, he had a really rough start. For his yeah, team. and I mean, really he definitely looks better now yeah. than he did before. So, like, that's that's good for him. I am happy for him on that. But there are no Pacers on the All Star. I mean, I guess it's got to be you know, like again, we always run to the. Sabonis or Brogdon debate, right? Right, and Turner is a defensive player. You don't usually see unless it's guys uh, unless team. it's of uh, course our, our guy Rudy Gobert who's got a shot, right? Yeah, if he, I mean, I mean, I mean if he continues to get yeah. fifteen assists a game, go going through this exercise, like, isn't it like? It's crazy how Draymond Green made an all-star team three – Yeah, I believe so. time all-star, right? It's crazy. I mean, the yeah. Warriors were that good. It's also like that one year for the Hawks where they had four all-stars and Kyle Korver was an all-star, right? It was like Jeff Teague, Paul Millsap, Joe Johnson, yeah, yeah. and Kyle Korver were all all-stars. Like, coaches reward success. And I don't – like, again, this is another one of those times where I'm like, that's okay. I, I'm actually fine with that. But that's that's what it is, and that's why I think that Rudy Gobert's got a legit yeah. shot. Yeah, sometimes it comes yeah. down to the coaches love you, and if, if that if, if that's what, what what it is, then if coaches love Gordon Hayward, then Gordon Hayward would make the team. If coaches love Kyle Lowry, then Kyle Lowry will make the team. If coaches love Fred VanVleet, then Fred VanVleet will make the team. It, it, it'll, it'll come down to that. So we'll see what who the starters are. And yeah, we'll see. And then like we'll we'll pick the reserves a little bit later. We'll we'll, we'll definitely concentrate on that. Uh, but one of the guys I wanted to talk about, uh, Vikram, before I be close out the show is one of the all star starters who have enough votes to be a starter, and that's Bradley Beal. So uh, the reason why I want to talk about Bradley Beal is obviously there's been a lot of talk about him and his relationship with the Wizards. Is he is he going to ask for a trade at some point? And is is he going to be traded in the mid uh, during the mid season or after after this year? And what is that trade going to look like? Right? Uh, there was an article that came out in the Athletic, and it was a very well timed article because it came out right after the Wizards had a thrilling comeback victory over the Brooklyn Nets on on their home floor. I think that was one of the games where Russell Westbrook had forty points, forty plus, and then there were, Bradley Beal had thirty plus, and. Uh, they were down by five with a couple of, with, with like only like 10 seconds left. And they somehow came back and won that game off of steel. It was crazy. But in that article, Bradley Beal basic, uh, he basically said that if any team is calling, just hang up 
Yeah, he apparently he told Tommy Shepard that, and apparently according to the Wizards, he's never been happier. As in Bradley Beal has never been happier with the Wizards, and um, and yeah, it's it's very interesting given you know the amount of player movement. It's it's sort of refreshing to see a player liking where he's at and a superstar player remaining at the team despite a difficult situation. And obviously, it's a player's choice, right? At the end of the day, if a player wants to leave a team in free agency, he can leave. If a a player wants to inform a team that he's going to leave in free agency and hence force a trade, uh, he he can do that as well. And we've even seen players under contract uh, request for trades and start pouting and misbehaving James Harden. And, uh, and get what they want. So it's refreshing to see something like that out of Bradley Beal. But I wonder if, like, I wonder if that same love is being reciprocated by the Wizards. And I say that in the sense that Ted Leonsis, the owner of the Wizards, has he shown a commitment to winning? And I know that's really, really hard to quantify, Vikram. But yeah, it, it, there's, there's, there's something called, you know, ha- wanting to win and doing everything you can to win. Right, and I don't see Ted Leonsis as that kind of an owner for the Wizards. And you have a player like Bradley Beal, who is like he's 27. He has several years left of his prime in the league. You you want to make sure that his prime isn't wasted, right? Because when by the time he's probably 31 or 32, who knows at what stage of his career he's at, and be, and because of that, he he might lose out all of his prime years, and the the Wizards might not be a competitive team. Moreover, even if the Wizards are going through a youth movement. Their youth movement right now is consisting of guys like Rui Hachimura and uh, Denny Avdia, right? Players who, like, they can become really good role players. And, and who knows? Maybe, you know, like, um, may, maybe my, I, I'm, I do not claim myself to be, like, a, a superstar scout by any, any sense of the description, any sense of the imagination. But those guys don't seem to be the type of guys who can pair with Bradley Beal to return the Wizards to prominence, so to speak. So I just wanted to get your take on that entire situation, Vikram. Uh, uh, what What is your take, obviously? And what do you think Bradley Beal uh, should do? And what do you think of, of the Wizards in, in this I situation? I think that the Wizards should trade Bradley Beal. I mean, I think I understand why Bradley Beal hasn't gotten traded yet. And that's simply because, A, he doesn't want to be traded. And I think there's a myriad of reasons why. Apparently, he's really been fascinated with the story of Dirk Nowitzki, the idea that you know, one player staying with the team, finally getting to win a championship. I think there's some key differences. As you pointed out, the ownership situation is one. The other thing is Bradley Beal is not as good as Dirk Nowitzki. He's not an MVP, in my opinion. Uh, and the league has changed significantly since then. I also think that this Wizards team has a very limited upside. I mean, you're really counting on guys like Hachimura and Avdia, as you, if you pointed out, like really emerging. So I'm not really sure that that's like particularly realistic. Uh, the other thing that I would observe is he probably doesn't really want to move during a pandemic. Uh, as you, you may recall the story of him, you know, uh, with his pregnant wife, eating a lot of ice cream with her because that's what like his job his primary job was to be a husband and, and supporting her through that like experience. Like that's the type of person he is. He's a, a very considerate family man. And so it may very well be the case that he doesn't want to move in the middle of a pandemic. Like that seems reasonable to me too. And so there may just not be the incentive right now to trade him. Like he doesn't want to be traded. The Wizards have the remarkable tendency to always try to compete for the eight seed. 
Not that I think they're going to be able to make it, but you know that's that's kind of been the mo for Ted Leonsis the entire time. So I don't know, man. I, I just don't think that they're about to trade him, though he is the next thing to fall. He's the next guy to fall, right after James Harden. He's the next star player domino. So if they were to trade him, I think they would get a really good piece or a really good set of pieces back. So I think that's where we're at with the Bradley Beal situation. Uh, yeah, obviously, obviously teams with like the high draft picks and a lot of draft picks to give up would, would be in that conversation. Uh, obviously the Warriors are our front and center there, the, the, the Sixers as, as well. Um, but yeah, just, just going back to that, like, yeah. And in, in, in that sense, like Bradley Beal seems to be like this unique guy in the sense that he, he, he's a, he's a family man. Yeah. And that, does not only apply to his family, but it applies to his Washington Wizards family as well, the team that drafted him. And uh, the, the thing about the Dirk Nowitzki thing is really, really interesting because it did state in that athletic article that like he wanted to be he's like Dirk Nowitzki in that way. But I would just add that Mark Cuban did everything in his power to make sure that the, the Mavs are really, really competitive during Dirk Nowitzki's time there. In fact, during Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki's career, apart from his first year in Dallas and his last three years in Dallas, he made the playoffs every year. He, the Dallas Mavericks were a no-question playoff team every one of those years. And, and, and a couple of those years, they were championship contenders, right? And Mark Cuban did everything in his power to make sure that Dirk Nowitzki had the best chance to win. doesn't mean it happened every year. Doesn't mean it even came close to happening every year, but Dallas was more competitive than Washington. You can definitely make that determination. So it's 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 fair to wonder that if if Dallas was not that kind of a franchise, if Dallas was a franchise that was run like Washington, would Dirk Nowitzki have wanted out? It's it's a very fair question, and I, I think uh, Bradley Beal making that comparison. Yeah, I agree with that too. I just franchise. it's nice to see somebody dedicated to a franchise, though, and you know I wish Bradley Beal all the luck. Uh, in the world and all the success in the world because he deserves it and he's a hell of a basketball player. So, you know, that's where I am with him. I hope he gets what he wants out of his career. And I love watching him play. So I respect whatever decision he makes. And I think that's where, you know, I would I love to see him on the Warriors? Sure, I would love that, right? Do I think that would be great for the Warriors' long-term future? We could talk about that in a, in a later episode. I don't necessarily think it would be that great. Uh, for their long-term future, but you know that's neither here nor there. I just want him to play basketball where he wants to be, uh, where he wants to play, and for that situation to meet what he wants in his life. And if that means staying with Washington because it's the best family situation for him, it's an organization that he respects and wants to be a part of. You know, more power to the man, right? Like he should be able to choose that too. Just like we say, players should have an opportunity to play where they want or be traded if uh, franchise continually doesn't put winning pieces around them a la AD, right? So that's where we're at, man. I think Brad, the Bradley Beal situation will resolve itself. I don't think he's going to be traded during the season, though. Yeah, if anything, he'll be. I think he'll be traded in the offseason. It's just, it's, it's, I mean, uh, the trade deadline's a month away. Obviously, a lot of things could happen in between now and, and, and that time. But I, I think Bradley Beal has sort of made up his mind that he doesn't want to be traded. And I, I think even if it does want to be traded, it's sort of, it's, it's sort of a thing that we push to the off season. I think, I, I think Bradley Beal respects the Wizards and the Wizards respect him. And it's, it's a very, 
uh, it's a very um, yep. two-way relationship there. So we'll see what we'll see what takes place. But hey, uh, great episode with you, Vikram. I think we're going to close it out right here. Uh, thanks to you all for listening, and you know, stay stay tuned for more episodes. We uh, we're definitely Vikram and I were definitely in talks to do this more often, probably twice a week, as you know, begin to the meat of the season, and we talk about what has happened uh, over the course of the time that we've missed. And Absolutely. We, we love having right, your feedback to the show and leave us a review, send us a note. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. And Guru, great having another episode with you, man. Absolutely. So, yeah, for Vikram. Uh, yep. Have a good night, everybody. We'll, we'll talk to you guys soon.